Today's reading is from Matthew 21, verses 12 to 22. Matthew 21, 12 to 22. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold those. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them, went out to the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. In the morning, when he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. Then he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only will you do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. Whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Ebenezer Church. How are you all this morning? It is good to be in worship with you at 945. It is a complete joy. My name is Pastor Donovan. If we have not, well, that's not my name. My name is, my name is Donovan Archie. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here and it's a pleasure to always be in worship with you. If we haven't met, I pray at some time we get a chance, uh, to do that. Uh, we are in part five of our message series. I like Jesus, but, and what we're doing is exploring all of the ambiguities and the uncertain experiences that people have with Jesus. Jesus and the things that are associated with Jesus. So I like Jesus, but I don't like what Jesus said. Uh, or I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians, like those Jesus people, like they're strange, <laughs> right? Those were some of the things we uncovered in weeks prior. Uh, this week we're uncovering, I like Jesus, but I don't like church. Everybody should just gasp because we're all in church, right? We're like, I love this place. It's great. It is. It's a statement that we're unpacking today as we explore the, the reasons why people love Jesus, but perhaps may not like uh, the church. That's our focus for this week. I want to invite you to join me in a, another moment of prayer. Dear God, we're so grateful for your church. We're so grateful for your life in our lives. We're grateful that you speak to us in many different ways and in many different tongues. God, you speak to us because you have words for us to hear. And so may the words today that we hear go deep in the place of the human heart that the preacher, that me, myself, and Pastor Donovan was never designed to go. But God, you can. You can go there. So we pray that you also go there, but do in the, in the human heart what only you can do. So that your people are changed, renewed, and transformed. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like Jesus, or perhaps I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. You know, we've unpacked a couple different statements throughout this entire sermon series. If you haven't had a chance to look at the sermon series, I invite you to go to the media section of our website and look at the sermons. Uh, they're fantastic sermons. But of all of them, I got to say uh, that this particular statement today, this quote is perhaps the one that I feel like I connect with, connect with the most. That's right. I said it. As, your, as one of your pastors, <laughs> I like Jesus, but I don't like church is the one that I connect with today. Meet me outside. (laughs) No, please don't meet me outside. I say that I connect with this particular statement today uh, because I feel like it tells the story of my life. Here you have a pastor who did not grow up in a religious household. We didn't really go to church that often. There weren't, there were times where we went to church because my aunt was a pastor um, and my uncle was a pastor as well. And they would invite us to vacation Bible school. And whenever uh, the other teenagers in our family would come come to church or we're going to be at church, they would make sure that we were invited and that, that we were going to be there. So there were times and moments throughout my life where I was where I was in church, but we didn't go to church uh, for for most of my life. There was a short period of my life also where I uh, left the idea and the thought of being a Christian and going to church. I started practicing Islam and I became a Muslim. I'll tell you that story on another page (laughs) or or, uh, another time. But there was a time where I was totally, uh, I had a total disregard for the church. There was a time where I fell away from the church. I didn't like what the church stood for. I didn't understand what the church stood for and what it was supposed to do, why I was supposed to show up at church. When we got there, they sang songs about blood. They said that we were drinking blood and bread, and I don't want to do any of that. So what is it this church, what is it the identity of the church that I'm supposed to make um, as an important value in my life, or it's supposed to make a, a, a particular type of value in my life? It's supposed to hold an utter importance in my life. It's this weird relationship that I have with the church. So if you're a person that's ever said, or if you know people that have ever said, I like Jesus, but I don't like church, tell them that Pastor Donovan agrees and I f- agrees with them and that I feel them, that I understand their heart. For me, I would imagine that it's like you're stuck in between a rock in the heart and a, and a hard place, that you and yourself are experiencing some very ambiguous feelings about church. If you're this person or know people and, and that experience this feeling. You like Jesus, like you like what he said, you like what he's about, but this church thing, this community is, is kind of weird. It's, it's strange, in fact. I would imagine, or I would submit to you that I think it's like a bad potluck. You been to some of those? Come on, show of hands. Like we've been to some pretty bad potlucks out there. I got to tell you, I have been to a few bad potlucks. And at the potluck, on one hand, you're really hungry. And you can't wait to be there, maybe for the fellowship, but for sure to eat because there are going to be some good food. But then on the other hand, there's a little bit of apprehension because the dish are looking a little sketchy. And there's some apprehension because you don't know who cooked the food. So there's some apprehension there. Like I love the community that is the church, but everybody seems to form cliques or everybody seems to operate in silos or factions of the church. I love church as a community and the fact that it's in my community, but they are not seeker sensitive. They're not me sensitive. I love how I feel when I attend church and church service on Sunday, but there's still a lot about church that I don't understand. There's a lot about church that's not unpacked to me yet. 
or I know that I need to go to church, but do I have to go every Sunday? Do I have to be present each time the doors of the church open? It's this tension and this ambiguity that leaves people loving and sometimes liking Jesus, but struggling with their love for the church, the place for which we gather to know God. It's almost as if people have developed this utter disdain for wanting to come to church to connect, but cannot. Are finding themselves wanting particular things from the church like a relationship with God and others, but but find themselves experiencing distractions in their experience of church. Among those on the on the potluck wheel of experiences, people have also said that I like Jesus, but the church, I've had a bad experience or the church is not welcoming or the church doesn't feel like a reliable place to learn more about God or the church feels like it's more about exclusion than including people who are hurt and broken or church has way too much for me to understand. As a pastor, as a non-traditional pastor, I agree. As a non-traditional pastor, I identify with some of these beliefs and some of these statements. It seems as though some of these statements help us to believe or helps us to know that there are people out there who have a broken relationship with the church. It helps us to understand that we've not or have identified those people but can't seem to get them to develop a good relationship and connection with what the church does and what the church is supposed to mean for their lives. It's almost as if that we are allowing people to exist in a world and to develop a perception about church where people who are hurting, confused, and doubtful don't see the need for a place where they could come worship God with others. It says to me that people see the church as a place uh, that is not concerned with the spiritual matters of people, that is not concerned with the spiritual matters of the people of people's lives and how they grow or the ways in which they're stuck in their lives. That church has become this place that's boring, that's stuck itself, that has some own figuring out to do. And I got to tell you, if you're that person, you're absolutely right. So how is it that we enter into a relationship with the church that struggles to understand its identity, but also seems like a place that's unwelcoming or that has too much for people to understand? What would you say to a person like that? And how will we help people to understand more of the purpose of the church so that they too can develop a better connection? For me, I would say to the person that is experiencing this or struggling with this idea to have grace, to develop a heart of grace that understands that the church is a body of people that is made up of brokenness. And that in our brokenness, we all seek to come to Christ to be healed, to be transformed, so that we can create a better world, so that we can live better lives. And that in the process, we're all trying to get it together. We're trying to fix We're trying to fix the system. We're trying to fix ourselves. We're striving each and every day to do better. We're all coming to the same place for the same reason. That there's a need for a little bit of grace when it comes to who the church is or what church is. But it doesn't mean that the church gets gets let off easy. That we don't have work to do ourselves. That there is not work as the body of Christ that we are exempt from, 
Because we're encouraged to become a different type of people, a different type of church that's open for people and available for people to come and get exactly what they need. You see, the church does purposeful work. But why is it that it seems like people are disconnected from it? Why does it seem like people have bad relationships with the church? I would invite you to hover over the scripture that we read today and to rethink what happens in the moment where Jesus is turning over tables in the text. So let's do that. In the scripture text, Jesus is just getting off of the back of a donkey. He had just ridden into Jerusalem. He's on his way to the temple to go and preach. And as he's on his way there, he notices, uh, this is a, a particular part of the episode, he notices that there are people, that there are money exchangers outside of the temple. As he arrives to the outermost part of the temple, he notices that there are people who are offering uh, pigeon and dove sacrifices, which is a part of the sacrificial system according to Judaic law. That people are buying pigeons for their sacrifice so that they can repent of their sins. They're coming from all over the nations from the Mediterranean area so that they could repent, so that they could pray, so that they could celebrate various festivals, so they can be in relationship with other Jews and other Gentiles um, in the region. And so as Jesus is noticing this, these people who are coming to repent of their sin and to, to, to pay taxes and to exchange money so that they could go and pray essentially into the temple. He notices that the temple and that the exchangers have become extremely corrupt. That the exchangers are not there to, to solely exchange pennies so that people could buy a dove to sacrifice their sins before God. But these people were people of greed. These people were people who were greedy in their own lives, people whose own heart were disgusting, whose own heart needed to be fixed, whose own heart was not poured out before God or Christ in a way that allowed for them to come, that allowed an opportunity for people to experience God in true and genuine ways. They saw people, they saw people as opportunity. As an opportunity to monopolize on their pain, opportunities to monopolize on all the ways that they're hurting in their lives before they can even press into God's full presence to get from God what they need. Jesus notices this and he overturns their money. He's knocking the plates and the coins out of people's hands and he overturns the table. Jesus is well loved at this point and he has a large following and people, scholars say that people join Jesus with this. It's a very large courtyard that people join Jesus in this act of overturning tables because of the people's greed in the area. That the people's greed was presenting, uh, was, was presenting this image of the church that the church was more about money than it was the heart of the people. That it was more about monopolizing on the pain and the hurt of people rather than helping people, hurting people, people who need, who need healing in their lives, people who are coming to pray, people who are coming to ask questions about God. That there's a lot of greed happening. So what does Jesus do? He overturns the tables and immediately he tells them three things. And if you want to write these things, things down, I encourage you. He tells them, number one, that my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. He says, number two, 
or, or, or number, the second thing that he does after he says that is that he says that in order, as you're coming to this place, this temple, you should experience this place, this temple as a place of healing. It should be known as a place of healing. And he actually does it. He goes and he sees a man who's blind and he heals him. And then the next thing he does, the, ne- the very next day, is he sees a tree that is barren, a tree that is without fruit. And he says to himself, but he speaks to the tree and he curses the tree and says that this is a fruitless tree. This is a tree that is not fruit bearing, but looks like it's bearing fruit. The author Matthew sandwiches this fig story in between the temple story to help bring the relationship between what the church, the temple is doing or what's happening in the church and what's happening in the lives of the people who are taking advantage of these hurting people. And the church that is not bearing fruit and a church that God, that Jesus will judge for not producing good fruit, for not doing what it's supposed to do, for not leaning into its true image, which is supposed to be a house of prayer and a house of healing. So Jesus helps to bring into alignment the true identity, the true image of what the church is supposed to be. And then even in our 21st century world, in our modern world, helps us to understand what the church is meant for. And Jesus' critique in this early age is a critique of our church today. That at any point, if we have too many distractions that are helping, that are causing people not to be connected with God, or if we're allowing for people to um, be in, become more involved with programs than to develop their spiritual life, then we've mi- we're missing the mark at the whole point of our faith. That we're doing this thing backwards somehow. And that our life and our activity in the church is in need of reform. It's in need of alignment. So what does Jesus suggest? How do we learn from, how do we learn from Jesus who experiences this interaction with these people who are misusing the temple of God, this house of prayer? Well, number one, Jesus establishes that the place where we come to know God should remain a place of prayer. Jesus uplifts and he focuses on prayer first, not only individual prayer and individual faith, but communal faith as well. Making the house of God a place where we come to connect with God through prayer, where we come and bring our needs, our suffering, our pain, our questions about who God is and the type of God that we serve to the place where we can get answers. But then to also connect with other people as God's body. You see, all throughout scripture, God talks, of, God talks about how we are a host. We are a body. We are a family. We receive an inheritance. And even Christ talks about how we become a part of, we are stitched and etched and grafted into the body of Christ that we function as a body, not as an individual member. That God's house should be known as a place where we can practice individual faith, live out our faith, and practice our faith, grow in our faith, but then also help others to grow in their faith as well. And that when we do that, we become and we are recognized as the body of Christ. That we're not just a building, that we're not a building or a place where people come to to engage in activities or programs. But we are a people, an individual people, and a body known as the people, known as the church that together serves the world, that together prays for the world, that together helps to relieve suffering in the world. That's what Jesus did. 
Jesus says that his, his father's house should be known as a house of prayer. Where we connect with God and we connect with others as a body. And then number two, he says that my father's house should be a haven for healing. It should be a haven for healing, a place that's known for where people experience need or have needs or suffering, that they can come here and they can get that done. Jesus healed a blind man when he was in the temple. And then there were countless others who had come up to Jesus after they had witnessed him heal this blind man, asking for themselves to be healed. And I would imagine in our modern world, too, that there are people in our world that are asking to be healed, that have needs themselves. And that they're pressing, that they seek to press into the presence of God to experience the healing that they need for their minds, their souls, their spirits, or perhaps even their own bodies. And my encouragement through the voice of Jesus is that we not provide distractions for people to experience that healing, but that we recognize that everybody have needs, even needs above our own. I got to tell you, whenever I go to urgent care centers or hospitals, um, I find myself becoming the most judgmental. I do. It's a flaw. It's a flaw. Whenever I go to the emergency room, um, I sit there. And I've, I've been in the emergency room for lots of different things. Most recently was a, was a cut. I was laying some tile on the floor at my last church and I cut myself and here I am bleeding and I needed stitches. And here I am, I'm bleeding and there's a guy um, and, and two women in the emergency room with me. And as I'm bleeding, I'm looking at them and I'm like, this guy isn't bleeding. He shouldn't be in the emergency room. Like if you have a headache, take a pill. I'm just saying. <laughs> or, or these women who don't, who doesn't appear to be experiencing some type of illness. I'm like, I'm the one who's bleeding. Look at this arm. I do. I find myself becoming a little judgmental. And I think that it's easy for many of us to do the same thing. Or even for people outside of the walls of the church to do the same thing. That we recognize that we are the ones that have needs. We come to this place and we recognize that we're the one who's who's hurting. My life and my relationship or my marriage or my job is bleeding out and I'm the one who needs help. And I come to church and I look to be filled. Only to find that there are people whose lives are also bleeding out. Whose lives are also needing help and needing to hear the voice of God. Needing to experience God. So we all come to this place, the church, the temple, this place of healing. That's what Jesus does. And as he does that, he provides a model for how our church should look. A house of prayer and a place of healing that no matter how you're hurting or how you're broken, you can be sure that this is the place to be fixed. And what's most importantly, there won't be any distractions, but more than that, no one will judge you. Like Pastor Donovan when he goes to the hospital. But it's a place where you're going to be healed and you're going to be made whole. And that if this is not the place where people are able to do that, then we have to create that space so that people can experience this from God. And then lastly, a place where church is known for its fruitfulness. Jesus inspires us and he tells us that my father's house, that this house should be a prayer, a house of prayer and of healing, but then also fruit. Jesus is serious about this tree 
bearing fruit, about this tree being fruitful. And he's serious about the church being fruitful as well. The ways that we're building up our communities, the way that we're building up ourselves, the way that we're edifying one another in the faith, recognizing that we all struggle, that we all have pain, that we're all dealing with something. We all have shortcomings. We all have sin. But when we come together, we pursue one another in love and we build each other up in love. That's what the church looks like. And Jesus sees that this type of church is a church that involves people and not a building. And that we take our mind and our attention off the building and what happens in it. And we focus on the people in it. And we turn our attention to the needs of others. We focus on growing ourselves so that we can be for the world fruit. So that we can be for the world the very presence of God. Jesus calls for a fruitful church, but also calls for a church that heals and also calls for a church that is serious about prayer. There's a favorite scripture of mine. It's in Acts. It's a new church that was birthed after Jesus left this earth and the disciples were sent to create this new way of having people to know God, experience healing, but then also become fruitful in their lives. After Paul began his ministry, this was well after Jesus had died, a new church had begun to take shape and form. And Acts 2, 42 provides a model for how these churches look and I think also provides an idea for how our communities and our churches to look today so that people will find themselves being in love with Jesus, but then also being in love with the church. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the good news, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. And then every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I'm running out of fingers. The things that they did, they broke bread in each other's home. They ate with one another and they were glad and they had sincere hearts, praising and enjoying all of the favor of God and each other. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Amazing that when we get together and we hear the good news and when we get together and break bread, when we get together and share our property, where's the lake house? When we get together and we do life with one another and we share in each other's burdens, a new type of world is birth. But not only that, a church is birth, a church that God designed and desires. Amen.